0: all right welcome to the radical parenting podcast my name is tony Shawcross
1: hey everybody i'm kara
0: porba well if you haven't watched previous episodes uh we've we've read a lot of parenting books and we talk about parenting books a couple of them we just talk about general philosophies and thoughts from radical parenting radical honesty uh the the work on which this podcast uh rotates um around but uh we also have done um conversations with some other radical honesty practitioners and parents who reflect the radical parenting kind of, um, ideals and the ideals of, um, what I call prime directive parenting, which is just kind of as much non-interference as possible. Um, and then we did, uh, an episode, I think just last, the last episode was, uh, children's books, uh, which, which is a lot of fun. Um, and today we're going to be reviewing a book or an essay that's, that's not about parenting at all. Uh, it does touch on children, um, but uh, it's, it's a big uh, foundation of my personal uh, philosophy. And uh, actually the, it's written by Ralph Waldo Emerson and uh, uh, my partner chose my, ch- my son's first name. I got to choose his middle name, uh, his middle name is Emerson. And uh, this essay has a, a lot to do with why, um, why I wanted our child to be named Emerson. <laughs> So uh, we're going to just get into it. The essay is called Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's really short, but it's also not an easy read. It's, I, 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 I'm not a great reader anyway. I, I usually listen to our books on tape instead of reading them, but uh, there's, this doesn't exist on tape. And if it does, it wouldn't work for me anyway, because it's just so dense and the language is so uh, unfamiliar to me. Uh, but it's, it's worth the work. It's worth the effort. And this was your first time reading it, right, Kara?
1: Yeah. And I wasn't sure, I had no idea what it would was going to be like. I wasn't even sure, you know, why you had chosen it for a parenting podcast. And then I started reading and I just like sort of jaw dropping. I love it. I love it. And it's basically, I mean, it's like a manifesto on radical honesty, essentially, mm-hmm. and on true nature and um, non-duality. And yeah, I loved it. I'm so glad we're talking about it.
0: Today. Great. Me too. Well, uh, I'll get us started and, and we'll just bounce back and forth. And the, the, right. the essay doesn't, isn't really structured, in my opinion, very well. So our, our, our review of it probably won't be incredibly well structured either. So we'll just kind of bounce back and forth. But if I had to say what sticks out for me as like the primary message of of self-reliance it's this core idea that we as humans our our brains and our bodies are the products of billions of years of evolution and emerson wasn't really a follower of any kind of like institutionalized religion, but he definitely like believed in God and believed in like the divinity of nature and, and by extension, the divinity of, of, of us uh, and everything kind of created in nature. And I think one of the core messages is that there's just so much capacity within us and that babies and children have access to this inherent wisdom that's instilled in us by this universe and in his mind by God, that, are adults that ad, adults have forgotten and buried under years of other forms of acquired wisdom, um, but lose this this inherent wisdom. And to me, this essay is just like a plea to everyone to just like cling to this wisdom that is born into an to us and is right there that we trade away um, for acceptance and for other kind of ego ego reasons. And it's just like yeah, begging us as humans to hold on to that to that individuality and that wisdom that we have there's this bumper sticker i saw i'd never heard the quote before but a robin williams quote that i think i've referenced in this podcast before that says something like if you only have like one piece of like weirdness in you like cling to it like it's a life preserver um if you have that one piece of uniqueness um hold on to it (laughs) yeah i feel like a little like teary-eyed just talking about it i I, I like this piece a lot and it also just feels like a permission to me to be myself you know like I think we want we want permission to be ourselves we want to be accepted not because of our performances and our ability to fit in and our ability to be accepted by others we we want to be accepted just for who we are and uh and this feels like a permission to me to be bold and to be yourself and to let 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 the lack of acceptance that will come with that um happen and and a reassurance that that what acceptance you do find in yourself and from others is just going to mean that much more to you and to the world Uh, so that's kind of my my intro and yeah it As we've learned radical honesty i don't think brad reveres this this text as much as i do and as much as a lot of other texts that he brad blanton the founder of radical honesty and author of radical parenting i don't think he reveres this text as much though i've talked to him about it he has read it um but it just so much of what he teaches and writes about is is reflected in this uh so strongly
1: Yeah, I was reminded of him over and over and over again. I mean, he almost could have written this. It so reminds me of Brad. Thanks, Tony. I I think it's beautiful what you said about the self-acceptance. And, you know, he never uses those words. He doesn't use those words, but he talks about the nature of our existence is like a single ray of sunlight from the greater source of, he uses all kinds of different words, you know, he does say God sometimes, but it's like, you know, what people might call true nature, or the wisdom of all being, and the connectedness Mm -hmm. of all being, and that our innermost impulses that are not reasonable, or sophisticated, or conditioned, that those are wise, and sacred, and, um, he, he even talks about being obedient to them. It's like a mm-hmm. different kind of obedience. I found that so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, he talks about obedience and faith rather than to some external uh, dogma or, or creed and obedience to our own spontaneous um, whims, which he mm-hmm. says like, doesn't, is the best word, but um you know, and I think by whim he's talking about that instinct and that intuition that that comes through us. It's not really created by us. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like
0: born into vessel. us.
1: And mm-hmm. then we make these children who are such vessels, um, and and then we spend our whole lives trying to train that out of them. You
0: know? mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I love how he, one thing that I didn't think of that so echoes Brad's teaching that, that just came up as you were talking is just like his, his permission to get it wrong, like his permission to not be right and not be consistent from one day to the next, like speak your loud, rude truth today and tomorrow, if it's different, speak it just as loudly as you did yesterday. Um, and yeah, yeah Brad and I, Brad always says if there's if it's worth doing, it's worth doing wrong or things like that where he's just like mm-hmm. always trying to get people to express without attachment to being right or how it'll play out or whatever. Right. It's
1: like we can we can um attuned to like, whatever's moving right now. And that might contradict everything that happened before. And, um, but if it's moving right now in us, there's some truth there. There's Mm -hmm. something alive
0: there. Yeah. So I'm going to read a little quote on this kind of topic of this kind of divinity of human nature. Um, and I'm going to put it up on the screen as well. And again, this is really dense language, so it's not that easy to follow, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it and, uh, and we'll take it slow. And I just, I liked this passage. It says, we denote this primary wisdom as intuition, whilst all later teachings are tuitions. So distinct from intuition, tuitions. In that deep force, the last fact behind which analysis cannot go, all things find their common origin for the sense of being which in calm hours rises we know not how in the soul is not diverse from things from space from light from time from man but one with them and proceeds obviously from the same source whence their life and being also proceed i'm going to pause here for a second and just say that most people that i know that have done like a Seven day meditation retreat, or or an eight day radical honesty retreat, or you know any of these kind of like transformative things. Just hiked the Pacific Coast Trail, or or any of these things. Like when they talk about their moments of clarity, Samuel Jackson refers to moments of clarity in Pulp Fiction. When they talk about like their insights, some people do it through hallucinogenics, whatever. It's it to me. It's it always rotates around this theme this idea that we are not diverse from space from time from man we are just like one we are part of all of this and to to let like institutions or fears or whatever ego kind of drown out that light that is in us is just like a crime to a crime to humanity, a crime to ourselves, a crime to the people that we come across. Feel free to jump in any point if you want to care. Otherwise I'll just go on reading.
1: Yeah. I just want to say that, I mean, this is essentially, uh, this could be straight out of a Buddhist text, right? I mean, this is about awakening to the oneness of all being, right? And like, Um,
0: non-duality and non-separation. Yeah. Great. So it says, we first share the life by which things exist and afterwards see them as appearances in nature and forget that we have shared their cause. Yeah, I feel like crying. Here's the foundation of action and thought. Here are the lungs of that inspiration. Can you read it? You're yeah. the lungs of that inspiration which giveth man wisdom and which cannot be denied without impiety and atheism. We lie in the lap of immense intelligence, which makes us receivers of its truth and organs of its activity. When we discern justice, when we discern truth, we do nothing of ourselves but allow a passage to its beams. Ah, the relation of the soul to the divine spirit are so pure that it is profane to speak, to seek, to interpose helps. So, I mean, it's really just repeating the same thing. Kara and I were just saying it's just like let that, yeah, like shine through you. So for me, that's kind of the core message of if you wanted to read the Cliff's Notes of of, of uh, self reliance that's kind of the cliff's notes, but then he goes into a lot more kind of like specifics around everything from like the need for entertainment to to children and the wisdom of babies and all of that. So we're going to get into all these different, different topics. But for me, this core message of like the divinity of human nature is, uh, is the core, the core idea behind it. And you have to yeah. filter out a few things. Like he always talks about man and means, means mankind. Uh, yeah. But yeah he, he I comes crossed from... out
1: a few of those and like rewrote my yeah
0: <laughs> good
1: pronouns or whatever.
0: Yeah. He's, so, not, and a, I... he's not a flawless, flawless uh, sage, but there's a lot of wisdom.
1: Yeah. Here. Yeah. And I, so this brings up something for me about <clears throat> my own, you know, uh, parenting dilemmas and struggles about um, you know and I think this might be more true for me than for you Tony I'm I'm I might be more of a people pleaser so the, the I believe that the way that our children are going to learn this is not by us talking about it or giving some kind of lecture or whatever, it's more so going to come from modeling it within ourselves. So the way for me to support this in my daughter is to actually stand so strongly in my own self-acceptance and my own inner impulses and um, that I'm modeling that for her when I do that, even if it might be edgy. Sometimes it might be saying no, you know, for me, if I have, so I don't want to, to, fall into the trap of like putting our children up on this pedestal where like, you know, they're just perfect and can do no wrong. And they're these godlike creatures. And then we're like down here, you know, like adults People's. who ruin everything. Right. It's like, yeah. no, actually my strength, in myself is going to bump up against her strength and herself and we're going to have all of this you know in a really intimate relationship like a parent and a child we're going to have lots of edginess we're going to have conflict we're going to have you know dilemmas we're going to have lots of grist for the mill right and um i guess i'm that that that's my own path i feel like is to not sacrifice myself for what I believe is the model of, of being a perfect mother or whatever. So if I think that I should do this or that the other, but I actually am feeling I'm not willing to, then I do believe it's a gift to her to be completely genuine and congruent about that, of no, this is, you know, I'm gonna, I take care of myself as Mm -hmm. well as taking care of you and i trust you to be this kind of goes back to some of the janet lansbury stuff that we were talking about of like like i trust you to be a a self-reliant you know like power force of nature that it's okay to feel disappointed and to be mad at me and um i do teach my daughter to say that she's mad at me you know like um instead of you know kicking or, or or hitting or calling names i say like you're so like yeah i, I don't i'm not going to let you kick me and you can scream and shout and s- s- tell me how mad at me you are as much as you want um so there's like a strength in that of standing in my conviction even when it appears to be um unsupportive in some way, or it doesn't fit into sort of the nurturing mother uh, fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think a lot of people are now realizing is, is really dangerous
0: for yeah. for moms. I don't know how gender plays in a lot, but it does seem a lot more normal for women and young girls to, to quiet this even a little bit more to like, to, to, you know, young girls like, like Elsie Jane's age, She's got no problem with this. She's like in perfect attunement with, with Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, plea. Um, But it does seem like it gets pushed out of women a bit more than men and boys. And I think part of that is, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's, I think it's more nurture than nature if you ask me. Um, But uh, it's certainly you know, you know the case for you. Like you said, you're more of a caretaker than I am. You're more mm. of a people pleaser uh, than I am. And it's part of the reason when, when my partner thought we were going to have a girl, why I was <clears throat> especially excited. I just think the kind of radical parenting that we're talking about, the kind of someone who's like really in tune with the feelings and sensations that others have, but don't carry that like a weight on them don't don't take responsibility for it, mm-hmm. it can make a choice at any moment like i recognize th- that these other people are feeling this way i recognize even that i'm having an impact on how they how they're feeling but i get to choose in any moment whether i want to let that kind of steer the ship or let my kind of my inner compass kind of steer the ship come what may with other people because you're going to rub people the wrong way the louder that more out loud you live the more people you're going to ruffle their feathers it's just inevitable and so many of us are are not willing to do it and it's somehow might even be less acceptable when women do it which is why i still i i'm so happy i have a son I, he's he's perfect and i still hope to someday have a daughter and and have her say f all that you know yeah that's
1: right yeah fierce little girls
0: yeah mm-hmm. so um so because this is the radical parenting podcast i do want to talk about the parts of the essay where he's talking about about childhood so i'm yeah. going to share the screen again and we're going to again read some some kind of dense language Great. um but i love this section <sighs> So he says, infancy conforms to nobody, all conform to it. So that one babe commonly makes four or five out of the adults who prattle and play to it. Yeah.
1: Amen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh So God has armed youth and puberty and manhood, no less with its own piquancy and charm. And made it enviable and gracious and its claims not to be put by if it will stand by itself. I don't want to decode that for everyone, but it's just the same, that same message. Do not think the youth has no force because he cannot speak to you and me. Hark in the next room, his voice is sufficiently clear and emphatic. It seems he knows how to speak to his contemporaries bashful or bold. Then he will know how to make us seniors very unnecessary. I'm going to keep going. The nonchalance of boys who are sure of a dinner and would disdain as much as a Lord to do or say ought to conciliate one is the healthy attitude of human nature. So again, like a boy that's interested in eating has no reverence to even a Lord. A boy is in the parlor. What the pit is in the playhouse, independent, irresponsible, looking out from his corner on such people and facts as pass by. He tries and sentences them on their merits in the swift summary way of boys as good, bad, interesting, silly, eloquent, troublesome. He cumbers himself never about consequences, about interests. He gives an independent, genuine verdict. You must court him. He does not court you. But the man is, as it were, clapped into jail by his consciousness. So he's saying unlike a, a, a boy, a young boy, a grown man is clapped into jail by his consciousness. Our consideration of, of, of all, all of everyone else's thoughts and opinions and, and feelings. As soon as he has once acted or spoken with a clat, a uh, clay, I forget how you pronounce this word. I, I looked up the pronunciation, but it means acting in a way that's specifically seeking approval. He is a committed person watched by the sympathy or hatred of hundreds whose affections must now enter into his account. I'm going to just say that again. Unlike a boy, the man is clapped into jail by his consciousness. As soon as he has once acted or spoken with a clay, I forget. He is a committed person seeking approval. He's a committed person watched by the sympathy or hatred of hundreds whose affections must now enter into his account. There is no lathe for this. Uh, I think I looked that word it's up like too. the
1: river that where you drink the water and you forget. So like, right. there's, no yeah, there's no way
0: to forget it. Once this is your focus. And sorry, I'm going to pause here too, because one of the concepts that's been really hard for me to reflect and was totally foreign to me that Janet Lansbury said that Magda Gerber said that, that, um, yeah, yeah, Alfie Cone said is like not to praise your children, to 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 watch them and let them enjoy their activities for their own intrinsic value, and that and this is speaking to that too. Like you, yes. we praise our children, they become seeking that praise, and yes. yeah,
1: that's and so.
0: It's That's so right hard. where
1: I was going with it too, Tony. Because yeah. like, forget the hunt, the masses or the hundreds of people, we are like gods in our children's eyes, and our sympathy or our hatred, our any little hint of like approval or disapproval, is earth shattering for them, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't want to train our kids to watch for that approval or disapproval with everything that they do and that's it's gonna happen anyway some some of the time but it's like a lot in a lot of systems of of being with children teaching and parenting it's all about positive reinforcement or Mm -hmm. words and punishments or whatever where we're purposely trying to shape their behavior with our punishment or with our disapproval or approval. Yeah. So we're very much trying to like totally stay out of that game.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's the hardest for me. I mean, I, I have such limited time with my son right now that I just want him to know how much I love him. Like I just, I love him so much and I just want him to know that. And same with my niece and nephews. I mean, my time with them is rarer than I'd like. And It just comes so naturally to me to just like, just to gush all over them. Mm. And, and, even arlo you know like just the little things like all that development you know he's only nine months now so all that development every time i see him it's something new like his hands work so good right now and like he was having trouble like picking up his pacifier or anything like that before and and now he can just like grab anything and kind of like his hands work so good and i just can't help it but like lavish praise on him for what a good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how good his hands work and i have to just remind myself but every is time it I-
1: praise or is it because i don't think there's anything wrong with communicating your genuine excitement i mean if you try to stamp that down then that's going to be incongruent yeah it's like you know what i mean like i really believe it's okay to just describe
0: yeah you
1: know, like you couldn't do that last time i saw you and now you're grabbing the pacifier
0: yeah but in a way like that's you know that Janet Lansbury mentions that it's like it's a little bit like selfish like especially when they're really into whatever they're doing that you make it about you and like your thing instead of just like standing by and just like getting the joy you have by watching them
1: so I think she says wait Mm. don't do it when they're involved in their own Fascination with something, but if they look to you Mm -hmm. for a response, you can be there in it
0: with them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. In fact,
1: yeah. I like no response is. I mean, that's its own kind of response, right?
0: Yeah. No, I so mean, I'll sit there like- smiling. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even aiming for no response, but I am looking for other ways. Like a lot of just like, I see you, I see what you're doing. A lot of the sports yeah. casting stuff. Yeah, totally. I love watching it, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a new muscle for me. And that's most of the things that, that we've read about in most of these books it, again, it just, it's almost like this one. It just emboldens me to like be how I want to be anyway uh, that's the one thing that's like, no, that did that would have, that would have maybe uh, never occurred to me.
1: That like, good job. Mm-hmm. It's actually not all that helpful. Yeah. Well, I, so I really sense. appreciate you for saying like, uh, I don't know what you said, but it's like a new vocabulary. It's, it's, we don't talk this way in our culture. So we have to basically practice and train ourselves to speak a completely different way in a descriptive way instead of, uh, uh evaluating way yeah and and i think it's really helpful to do that description you know um because that they know that like yes i actually i'm not just saying that i saw you but i actually was there with you in that really understanding what that meant for you and here's what it meant for me and um yeah that detail of description is a way that we can be really close, I, I, I imagine, you know, of like, yes, I'm right here and I see every detail of that experience and I can even describe it in words. And um, then they really get that we are paying attention.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. All right i'm going to finish this uh this little yeah. passage about about children. This is pretty much the only part of the of the essay where he's directly talking about kids uh so yeah there's there is no way to forget this essentially. Ah, that he could pass again into his neutrality so it's like once we've once we've learned to be worried about other people's opinions and responses like oh that we could pass back into that neutrality who can thus avoid all pledges and having observed observe again from the same unaffected unbiased unbribable unaffrighted innocence must Mm. always be formidable Mm. so he's saying like these these kids are are unaware they're oblivious to these judgments from others and that's not what we're going for we're going for you develop theory of mind, you know, different studies say you can, you can see the world from the perspective of others and thus have kind of the, from my opinion, where all morality evolves and, and we all, uh, you know, everything that's about good, good and evil to me comes from this ability to view, view the world from other people's perspectives, you know, a, a lion that can't view the world from a deer's perspective. It's not evil for him to kill the deer, but, um, i'm going off on a little bit of a rabbit hole but he's saying like we want to to know we want to observe we want to have observed the feelings of others and the judgments of others and the condemnation of others even and yet still observe that from this unaffected unbiased unbribable unafrightened innocent unafrighted innocence and how formidable that is if you can if you can say yeah i know. I know that I'm getting condemned for this. I know that people judge me or think I'm whatever vain or think I'm whatever they think. And, and I'm still doing it because it's, it's what's coming from my heart. And I think a lot of people have a lot of fear about this. This comes up when I've done like landmark education or whatever, that like, if we drop these rules about like what it means to be good or or bad um, that we would, that we would you know become so un whatever so like unethical but you know this was the first quote that I ever came across with Ralph Waldo Emerson a lot of you guys are familiar with this it, you got it in some like college graduation card or something um, but Ralph Waldo Emerson's kind of like idea of success, his famous quote about success includes this piece to lead the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know that even one life is breathed easier because you have lived, that is to have succeeded. So this isn't someone who then ends up, you know, in like a selfish phase or whatever. This isn't someone who doesn't care about others, um, you know. And for me, that's not, that's not the result of it either. When, when you're really true to yourself, um, we are just evolved to be, to be communal creatures. We are evolved to help each other. People who, people cavemen who didn't want to help each other, wanted to truly be an island and didn't care about other people's pain and suffering. They had a disadvantage in in evolution. And I think it's just inherent to all of us that we want to maximize joy. We want to minimize suffering. We want to help each other. And a lot of these shoulds and morality and, and these other motivations um, warp that as much as they shape it in the right direction. And in my opinion, they warp it And shape it in the wrong direction a lot more than they than they shape it in the right direction. So for me, all I want to go ahead.
1: Well, let's. I want to talk about that thing right there Mm -hmm. about how do our very best. You know, he talks a lot about this in the essay. How does our very best attempt at you know um, conveying morality, you know, teaching and learning morality, how does that go awry and actually undermine? our our compassionate instincts he he doesn't specifically talk about that but he he talks a lot about something that um that brad the founder of radical honesty says all the time which is that once something is made into a rule and it's and it's hardened and calcified it's no longer true what's true in this moment is 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 no longer true in the next moment. And um, so Emerson talks a lot about that, you know, that this, any, it, the, the, the most genuine spontaneous um, it arising of, of truth or goodness, that as soon as that is um, turned into, it, it, he talks a lot about history, right? Of like, as soon as we start to revere you know, like exact words of these exact people and think that that is the truth and the only truth, then it loses its truth. And that the truth is, these are my words, not his, the truth is alive and constantly changing. And that it's like, you know, the light from the sun will enter everywhere. And, you know, the, and this, ray of light and this ray of light and this ray of light we think belongs to those people or those churches or whatever. And that all of those things are, um, you know, as the Buddhist saying goes, are just fingers pointing at the moon. They're not the moon, mm-hmm. you know, or like Brad often says, the map is not the territory mm-hmm. or that the menu is not the meal. So, um, I, I, I found that really relevant. In terms of parenting, because, you know, here we are doing a podcast, we're reading books, we're talking about parenting philosophies. You know, I have certain parenting gurus that I revere and respect, and that is useful to me. Learning and, and reading and listening to people that I trust, that's really useful to me. And in the moment when I am challenged with an experience with my child, there is no script, there is no rule, there is no philosophy (laughs) that is going to come in and save me. Things go better generally when I step out of that, well, I'm gonna say this and then she's gonna do that and then everything's gonna be worked out i actually have to be with her as a person as a human and i actually have to see her as her own being and her own
0: independent
1: independent yeah totally like separate person from me so that i it's not i can't i can relate to her and and we can have this back and forth but i cannot really do anything to her so as soon as I sort of slip into that uh, tempting track of like, I'm the parent and I'm going to do something to Mm mold. She will make very sure that to make that difficult for me, (laughs) for which I'm really grateful because I, I ha I do have to come back over and over and over again to, okay, It's it's, there. It's not about anything that I believe or some like fantasy about how this is going to go or should go or or wishing that my child would make things easier for me. That's not her job. It's relating to then I it's I, I hope I'm explaining this in a way that makes sense. It's hard to put into words. It's a it's a shift where I can sort of I can feel myself shifting to like, okay. I'm just here now with you and with myself and staying with, you know, even if I'm frustrated or whatever, and something comes out of that, something that I might not be able to predict or script or, or problem solve. There's no, it's not really a problem solving thing. That's when my own intuition will drop in of like being able to, communicate or relate in a way where something shifts and we're no longer locked in a power struggle or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Does that like, am I describing anything that makes sense?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it touches on so many aspects of this essay and of of radical honesty, but Brad sometimes references Wilhelm Reich's work and this idea that, that if you don't give things like a direct, uh, release that they find like these convoluted ways out and um yeah i like i like the what you're really getting at though is that is that message that adhering to rules even rules that come out of like our most wise moments is a way of avoiding the here and now it's a way of clinging to this past idea and not being here in the present Ralph Waldo Emerson talks about the rose that like is a sapling or a bud and and then a beautiful blooms and then it dies and it doesn't yearn for that time when it was in bloom and it doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, it's in, it's in perfect accord in every moment. And, and that's what we want to be aiming for. Um, Not like, Oh, I had this wisdom and so I'm going to kind of, you know, kind of, rely on that or whatever but in the moment what are you experiencing what's going on in your body what thoughts are you having what's going on like right now and if you let that stuff out instead of repressing it and saying nope here's the wise kara or tony of 2018 and here's what i decided i was gonna do that's a way of avoiding well that's maybe that's not what's up for me right now this is what's up for me and if i deny that First, Emerson's saying there's probably some wisdom in there, um, even if that's from trauma, even if that's from some need, unmet need, whatever. Um, and if you just act on that directly, that it comes and goes. And you just say, this is what I'm dealing with now. I'm not feeling enlightened. I'm feeling like just smashing my fists against the wall or something like that. That then yeah. you allow yourself to feel like smashing your fists against the wall. There's a limit, of course, to what we allow ourselves to do, especially when it comes to kids, but you allow yourself to do, to do what comes naturally to you. And then those feelings come and go. And it's that much easier to just be kind of yeah present and in the moment. Yeah. One of my core values and it's up on the wall here at my work is, is honoring your word and things work so much better in a workplace and in relationships when, when you can count on what people have said. And I, I did really like that this essay is talking about that's not the highest aim here. Like be true to yourself in the moment. And
1: even if it totally contradicts what you mm -hmm. said yesterday. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that the reality of that, in some ways is going to be more consistent than if you're clinging to like honoring your word, that the, that the, that the consistency of the nature and the divinity of all of us will provide like a a consistency and a dependability that is, is truer than any kind of like, Oh, I'm honoring my word. I promised I would do this. And so now I'm going to do it. And that is still something that's important to me, but it's a, it's, it's not, It's not a, it's not a rule. And I want to check, check in with myself and say, do I still feel this way?
1: mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved that image that he gave. It took me a little while to grasp what he was talking about, but he talks about, you know, a ship, you know, the, the, the the best journey of the best ship is actually like a collection of a million little zigzags. And if you stand back, you, you, and from a distance, you chart the journey, it looks like a straight line, but actually it was uh, tons of little zigzags. That also reminded me so much of Brad, where it's like everything is a process of noticing and adjusting and noticing again and adjusting and attuning to what, rather than taking one rigid path.
0: It's just good to question everything always. It's just good to, yeah. Question always and radical honesty would say, and I think Ralph Waldo Emerson might too, although he doesn't really say in the essay. Use the your body as the barometer. You know that in this moment, pay attention to the to your body, and that there is just some like wisdom in in what's going on in your body.
1: There's one more thing I want to go back to.
0: Yeah,
1: um, he used the word nonchalant, and that. I love that. And I, I, I judge that as very important that nonchalance it's similar to, you know, Janet Lansbury talks about being unruffled Mm -hmm. or, or like uh, another, you know, favorite parenting guide is Susan Stiffelman, and she talks about being um, amused and indifferent. Mm. You know, I think there's a certain amount of healthy detachment where, We really allow our kids to have all of their, you know, wild fantasies and their intense emotions and all of that. And that we just don't take it on that much. Like, it's not so deadly serious. That nonchalance thing is, like, super important for me personally, like, in my sort of rabid devotion to, like, being the best parent that I can be and to, like analyzing every sentence that I say to my child and stuff like that. I also need, I think, a healthy dose of um like not taking it all too seriously. Yeah. And not taking myself too seriously. And I can trust that as of like a very devoted and nurturing parent, that that that's okay, that there's something to be gained I don't I imagine I'm not expressing myself very well here.
0: No, you there are totally something
1: something to be gained by just allowing things to be and not getting so attached to yeah. the outcome basically you know
0: And you know it's it is hard too as a single parent I think when you're when you're parenting together and again, I don't want to be gendered, but it is often. Is at least the stereotype that that the men can kind of just be the fun one, and the men can kind of just like sometimes not stress about this or that in the relationship, and and the the mom has to kind of like make sure that there's actual diapers in the diaper bag and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. You could just do like the most perfect parenting job. And then 16 years from now be beating yourself up cause you have just such an uptight child, you know, <laughs> because you were so uptight about doing everything perfectly and you did it all perfectly except for you know, whatever. Um, and it is so nice when you can be parenting as a couple and, and maybe even trade that off and, and the, and your child gets to see that, yeah, we don't always have to have everything perfect or figured out or whatever we can yeah, show up right. with too few diapers and improvise and see what happens. We can, whatever.
1: Totally. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. I think for a child to have a few really attached mm. um, sources of attachment, attachment mm-hmm. figures, mm-hmm. you know, I, cause I I do put a lot of pressure on myself as her main attachment figure yeah. that like, I've got to be all things with her. I, I, I need to be like the fun parent who like, we laugh and play and also the one who like is responsible for the details of whatever, packing the lunch and changing the diaper. Yeah. And, um, that's a lot. That's too much for anybody.
0: When I was young, my parents were very social and they had a few like really close friends and a lot of them made, made significant impact on me. I remember, um, the Arawayo family. Uh, The dad, Tony Arwayo, died recently, but um, he was just so nonchalant in his interaction with me. And even as like a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old kid, he was just like totally inappropriate and would talk about... Uh, drugs because he it was the 70s or early 80s and he he was a pothead and so he talked about marijuana with like a six-year-old kid and he would talk about whatever and which and he we would, don't
1: necessarily recommend
0: right yeah. and he, he would he would curse and and like use very casually use profanity in his language with me even as like an eight-year-old or something like that and i remember thinking like I want to be like that. Like I trust this person. This person is not putting on airs around me. This person is not acting around me. This person is just who he is around me. And I felt like special and let in that, that, mm. that he would talk to me in the same way that I heard him talking to my parents and adults. And, and I wanted to be like him.
1: Uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Tony. And I appreciate you for crying, for tearing up yeah i i think it's such kids get a lot of this you know protection racket and they and some of that is really necessary and appropriate you know you know i am gonna protect my my kid from like seeing violent images on tv or whatever that she cannot unsee and that are really scary and i'm gonna protect her from certain things but on a human level Like there's a way that we communicate kids that sort of like puts them in bubble wrap of like, that we think that we have to be so careful with them or something. And there's this, there's a huge gift in like trusting and respecting. They can handle themselves and stand on their own two feet. And I can handle myself and stand on my own two feet. And that's when we can actually relate and have a relationship that doesn't involve well i need you to be this way and i need you to be that way i don't know quite how i got there from what you were talking about well,
0: i'm glad you saved me give me a minute to compose myself
1: okay which you don't have to do
0: uh, thanks uh, okay so let's move on to the next topic i want to read again from the essay you can see my screen yeah kara
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: so is this line. He says, the virtue and most request is conformity. Self-reliance is its aversion. No law can be sacred to me, but that of my nature. Good and bad are, but names very readily transferable to that or this. The only right is what is after my constitution. The only wrong, what is against it. A man is to carry himself in the presence of all opposition as if everything were titular and ephemeral, but he, I'm ashamed to think how easily we capitulate to badges and names to large societies and dead institutions. Every decent and well-spoken individual affects and sways me more than is right. I ought to go upright and vital and speak the rude truth in all ways. That's probably one of the easier to, to digest paragraphs of his. I don't think I need to explain any of that.
1: I want to add something here. So I yeah. wrote in my notes when I was read this um, the the Stanley Milgram experiments. Mm. That's what that reminded me of. So anyone who's listening, if you're if you don't know about the Stanley Milgram experiments, look those up. And actually, so Brad Blanton gives a really good description of it in is it in practicing radical honesty i think so
0: yeah
1: i think it's in practicing radical honesty he gives a really good description of it and basically you know it's just about how people in this experiment were willing to um give higher and higher volts of shocks to someone to the point where the person appeared to be um dead and just normal people from a college campus um, were willing to do that because someone in a wide, wide, uh, white lab coat said the experiment must go on. Mm-hmm. This was an experiment that was designed out of the war crimes um, trials after World War II. So the question is, you know, how do we want to raise our children? because yeah, I would like my child to not be disruptive in a restaurant or not to say rude things to grandma or whatever. There, there's a dangerous dilemma there. We don't want to teach our children to always be polite and deferential. It's appropriate sometimes to mm-hmm. say, no, I am not going to do that. And I don't care who you are, I'm not doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's why for me, I don't want to teach rules. I want to teach practicing, recognizing facial expressions, practicing, recognizing emotions and other people as a language that my child and a vocabulary that my child speaks better than English. Uh, I think it's such an advantage, but it's also to me the only source of of right and wrong. If 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 we never practice thinking that, most kids will get it anyway. But the more we practice that, the more we can just, you know, trust that our children will will see pain and suffering when it exists, and not want to contribute to it. And and the trick for me is just going to be a, a helping raise a child that's so in tune with that, and yet doesn't take responsibility for all of it. I want I want it to be a choice, not an obligation. Most of the time, I think they're going to choose choose the option that that maximizes joy and minimizes suffering in the world. But uh, I still think the best way to do it is just to make sure they have that tool and that skill and then just step back.
1: Right. So it comes from a place of noticing and attunement rather than from some rule that we conform to. Our minds go to, well, if we don't have rules and we don't like have, you know, rules of conduct and manners or like whatever, morals and values, then, you know, the whole world will just like spin off its axis and people will be like clubbing each other in the streets right and so you know i don't think that's true that's what we're saying is like we don't believe that that's our true nature that's not yeah. like what comes out when we d- when we stop oppressing ourselves yeah. and he t- he talks about um for nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure and therefore a man an adult must know how to estimate a sour face. The bystanders look askance on him in the public street or in the friend's parlor. And by the way, this happens a lot if you're parenting in a non-traditional way. Um, if this adversation, which I assume is, means like aversion, had its origin in contempt and resistance like his own, he might well go home with a sad countenance. But the sour faces of the multitude, like their sweet faces, have no deep cause, but are put on and off as the wind blows and a newspaper directs. So this is I, I think what he's saying is this: like in that other quote that you read, the labels of good and bad can be sort of put on anything and, and changed around. And if, he's saying if this aversion had its origin in contempt and resistance like his own, he might well go home with a sad countenance. But the sour faces of the multitude, like their sweet faces, have no deep cause, but are put on and off as the wind blows and a newspaper directs. Which is very similar to what he said about the labels of good and bad. They can be applied to this and then that, you know, as convention sees fit. But what I'm really interested in is the first part, If this aversion had its origin in contempt and resistance like his own, he might well go home with a sad countenance. Which to me, uh, I took that, my interpretation is uh, what you're saying, Tony, about noticing. like When we genuinely have an emotion in response to someone else's action, they're not responsible for my feeling. And yet I can say I'm joyful or frustrated or this or that or whatever, or I feel tension in my body or I feel relaxed and open. And all of that has impact on somebody else. And that is a, a true way of, of regulating ourselves, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. So that's how we, how, how we regulate ourselves without rules and without emotions. It's by actually being present, we're repeating ourselves. It always comes back to this, right? It's about actually being present to what is, what am I experiencing right now? What are you experiencing right now? And allowing ourselves to be moved by that.
0: Yeah. An example of that for me is when I was growing up, I used to love this baseball cap that I wore. <clears throat> And my parents probably suffered the the, the outcome of not being very um, traditional in any way because when we went into instances where, like it's rude to wear a baseball cap, um, I, it was so foreign to me, and I was completely unwilling to do it. I was unwilling to take it off, and um, and it's and it's, I think it relates to what you're saying. It's just like it had no the the displeasure. That people had for me wearing a hat in these settings had no relation to my own ideas of right and wrong, my own ideas of like what's harmful and what's insulting and what's nice and mean. <clears throat> it was just too foreign to me and and yeah, so i i i I didn't want to do it, and I still mm-hmm. whatever, yeah, I was whipped for that nonconformity figuratively, yeah,
1: yeah, and again it's like that could be appropriate or inappropriate depending on the context, right? Like maybe Mm -hmm. it's rude to wear a a baseball cap in church, but it would be rude to maybe go into a synagogue without a, a head covering, you know, I don't know about a baseball cap, but you know, I, it's like the, you know, whatever is labeled as, as inappropriate is, I mean, and this happens so often for children, right? It's like we label something as inappropriate, and because they just don't give a two hoots about about that stuff, and so they're constantly doing inappropriate things. And uh, it's it's really we have to really look at like well, what is the what is the point of of this manner or root? And I will say i it's possible that i'm somewhat contradicting myself um and i have never cared about manners in my whole life until now (laughs) because i have a a person who lives in my house with me who would really like to order me around and have everything that she wants right at the moment when she wants it and She's very self-reliant in in terms of making getting what she wants on her own, but all, she often will ask me for things, and I now see that there is a genuine reaction for me of like, no, I'm I'm not willing to do certain things when I'm asked in a in a demanding way, and uh, so it's not so. I hope that as she and I sort of like experiment and explore and play around with this that it's not about being nice or being polite or following a rule about decorum but that um it's just very specific to the circumstance of like will you please get whatever for me i'm more likely to be willing and that's just a real genuine thing that has come up that i didn't expect Cause it kind of goes against all of my philosophy <laughs> oh, but it's it's what's happening
0: you know great yeah yeah so Emerson tells you to trust that that yeah cringe in your stomach that says i don't know if i want to get you a drink when that's the way you're asking me for it or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah.
1: One more impulse about that. I feel mm-hmm. even hesitant to say this, but, you know, I feel like there's so much fine tuned intuition that we need as parents. Like when my kid is upset, you know, I think that I can detect differences between like, you know, really genuine sorrow and disappointment and frustration and anger and all kinds of things and there are and there are times when I really feel the impulse to empathize, and then there are times where there's a certain like uh, I don't want to say anything like negative here. There's a certain like whininess to it that I don't want to engage with, and I I can judge myself for not being empathetic, and I actually think that there's a healthy impulse there of distinguishing between some some sort of like something that's not completely congruent in her, you know, that I'm not going to, does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it does. It does make sense. And I don't know. Yeah, I think I think especially when you're doing it just in a way that's just being true to your response, and you're not necessarily trying to mold her into the proper young girl who says her p's and q's or whatever. Yeah. But you're just you're just kind of trusting this thing that happens in you, and even if it's even if it's, you know, I've read this thing once that said like trauma is often mistaken for intuition or something like that. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not part of like the divine wisdom that's instilled in you by, 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 you know, this perfect 200 billion years of evolution or whatever, even if it is a result of your devils, your, you know, he talks about like, if I'm a child of the devil, then I'll act from the devil or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. I I mean, that's you, that's the truth for you and you are important to her and you are in her life. And so if, if that's the response you have, then, then be true to it. And I also think that who knows that might end up dissipating for you. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's a little counterintuitive to, to trust that like, I it's, I am so ready and willing to empathize so much of the time. And every once in a while I do, I have this impulse to like, this is I'm just gonna kind of stay detached from this Mm -hmm. one you know and it there's no there's no I'm not trying to get any into like it's not okay to cry or or be or whiny or be anything um it might just be a moment where I'm like I think she's hungry I'm gonna focus on like handing her a snack mm-hmm. and that's the thing for this moment mm-hmm. rather than to like sit with her and cry and whatever, mm-hmm. which we do at other moments. And it's like yeah. having that attuned response of like, there's different every moment that calls for something different. I imagine.
0: Yeah. And if you did want to be consistent, I am going to argue that that it's that self-sacrifice of not listening to yourself. That has the pendulum swing back and forth yeah. where you're like sacrificing and then you're like, no, I'm, this is, I'm standing my ground. Whereas if you're just like aiming for that balance of just like listening to yourself and, and if it feels inconsistent, it feels inconsistent, but the consistency is in here. Um, yeah, like I think that. you'll end up with a level of consistency that, that is wiser than your brain is. Your mm-hmm. brain isn't wise enough to, to right. manipulate when you're going to react and, and positively and negatively, you can't keep track of that, but your body has this divine wisdom where it can.
1: Yeah. I, I so appreciate you for saying that, but there is a consistency in following that intuition and it doesn't do anyone any good for me to give in a sacrificing way or in a like a way that is negating myself because then i do feel resentful and and whatever and the pendulum swings and so if i'm empathizing out of obligation or because that's the right thing to do then it's not it does it's not a gift to her yeah. it's not helping either one of us
0: yeah and the one time I'm going to want to put the brakes on is when I find when I find myself we've been taught and even maybe born into us to kind of like control others and and again like I want to be honest about my response to my child's tone or demands or any of those things but I want to put myself in check when when I, when I, it gets to molding and when it gets to like manipulating and when it gets to them being responsible for my response, like I can be honest about my response. I don't want to get you a blueberry. I'm not going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm mad at you for the way you just said that to me a little bit. And I don't feel like getting you a blueberry right now or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, but not like so, if you want a blueberry, here's the way you're gonna ask for it, or something right like that. that's yeah. where i I want to put myself in check um and and yeah be honest about my reaction and let them take their own lessons if they want to
1: Yes, absolutely, and trust that like the wisdom of the nature of our beings is like gonna process all that information it, 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 and it doesn't it doesn't have to be this manipulative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if we're still kind of on this issue of conformity and that like um, this, this issue of conformity, which is a big part of the essay, I'm going to read one more passage okay. um, about com- conformity that for me also segues into the next topic, which I wanted to talk about, which is more of what we would call radical honesty. It truly demands something godlike in him who has cast off the common motives of humanity and has ventured to trust himself for a taskmaster. So yeah, this is what we're supposed to be tasked with. This is what society expects us, but I'm trusting myself as a taskmaster. That's what I want for my son. I want his internal compass to be a stronger director for him than I am or anyone else in his life. High be his heart, faithful his will, clear his sight, that he may in good earnest be doctrine, society, law to himself. So like, again, that inner compass is your own doctrine, your own society, your own law, that a simple purpose may be to him as strong as iron necessity is to others. Most men have bound their eyes with one or another handkerchief and attached themselves to some of these communities of opinion. This conformity makes them not false in a few particulars, authors of a few lies, but false in all particulars. Their every truth is not quite true. Mm. That idea is just like when you're just conforming, when you're just reciting other doctrines, really in some way, everything you're doing is, is, is not really your truth. And yeah, it's better to be you know false in a few particulars it's better to be authors of a few lies than than accept someone else's truth or some other indoctrinated truth
1: he even uses the words like a paid person or something or hmm. you know it's like being a lawyer where mm-hmm. you're committed to one point of view already yeah and so really nothing can be it's not about truth at that point it's about yeah. supporting that belief system or, or one or point of view.
0: Yeah. So these are some of the ideas that I thought really overlapped with radical honesty and maybe a good way to bring us out. He says thoughtless people contradict as readily the statement of perceptions as of opinions. So that means people who in his opinion aren't really thoughtful, they'll, they'll contradict a statement of perceptions as much as they will opinions. This gets to what we talk about in Radical Honesty, where most of us are so busy analyzing, interpreting, categorizing what we pick up with our own senses, that we're kind of out of touch with perceptions and that there is no distinction between opinions and perceptions. Or rather, much more readily, for they do not distinguish between perception and notion. They fancy that I choose to see this or that thing, but perception, this kind of, using his term, God given ability of our eyes and ears and nose and touch to interact with the outside reality world. Perception is not whimsical. If I see a trait, my children will see it after me. And in course of time, all mankind, though it may chance that no one has seen it before me for my perception is of it is as much a fact as the sun. So um, yeah. Yeah. This is just about distinguishing. Persons I mean, from
1: God. I, I loved that part also too, Tony. It's so such a crucial part of radical honesty that we practice making the distinction between. Um, I, I, I think what Emerson is saying as perception, we would call um, a noticing. You know, like being able to notice something with your senses that is reality that is truth and that that is very different than a notion which is a thought an interpretation that which is all imaginary so we we can make a distinction between true and imaginary by really using our senses to 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 actually stay in touch with with you know perceptual reality
0: yeah yeah and radical honesty a lot is about how you know a lot of the trouble and upset we create it comes from this these thoughts it doesn't come as much from our interaction with the world it says if you can love me for what i am we shall be the happier if you cannot i will seek to deserve that you should i will not hide my tastes or aversions i will so trust that what is deep is holy that I will do strongly before the sun and moon, whatever inly rejoices me and the heart appoints. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a, there's a prayer that, Oh,
1: that. I, I, I read exactly the same thing. Yeah. At, I just doing a hand, hand heart. Cause I love it so much.
0: Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so there's a prayer that, that Fritz pearls wrote that Brad kind of bastardized that, that we end at pretty much every radical honesty meetup meeting session with um that is just really just this same message we don't need to repeat it right now but um but it's about not living up to each other's expectations and and if we get together it's awesome if not not you
1: know yeah i i I even thought of at my next radical honesty meetup of reading this paragraph instead Mm -hmm. of doing the gestalt prayer because it's like it is the gestalt prayer yeah in in different words
0: yeah. So I know Kara uh, has to go, but then is this section about, about the rose that I mentioned earlier that like, you know, it satisfies its nature in all moments, but man postpones or remembers. He does not live in the present, but with reverted eye laments the past or heedless of the riches that surround him in the moment stands tiptoe to foresee the future. He cannot be happy and strong until he too lives with nature in the present above time. So just using this, Brad talks about being as dumb as a dog or something like that. And this is just like about being as dumb as a rose.
1: (laughs) And that rose metaphor is so um, relevant for children, you know, because they're going through, they're changing so much all the time and going through all these different stages of development. You know, I, I think we're pretty focused on like kind of tiptoeing over the the fence to see the future of them being an adult and like, you know, what, and I think it's fine for us to think, well, what I'm doing now is going to have an impact on them as an adult, but it's like hurrying them too much into being in a more mature or a different stage of development than they are is we're not appreciating the rose in all of its forms. You know, the seed, the bud, the beginning to flower, the, the end of the flowering that all of those different stages have their own beauty and uh you know and also knowing as a parent that this too shall pass and um it's just they're just going to keep developing and changing forever we'll never catch up
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, Okay, so there's one last passage I'm going to read that I think Emerson kind of tips his hat is kind of like what he views as like a core truth of this essay. Um, And it's this passage where he says, when good is near you, when you have life in yourself, it is not known by any known, it is not by any known or accustomed way, you shall not discern the footprints of any other. You shall not see the face of man. You shall not hear any name. The way, the thought, the good shall be wholly strange and new. It shall exclude example and experience. So he's just saying, like our body recognizes this stuff not because, and you know, our mind, our, you know, our soul recognizes this stuff not because it's been taught to us before, uh, but because it resonates with the wisdom that has evolved into us from the universe Mm
1: -hmm.
0: brad talks about the wisdom of kids where they'll like watch something happen a plane fly across the sky or a or a bug crawl across the concrete and like grok it for the first time and i think this might have been borrowed from Earhart, but he talks about how you never see it again in that same way. You never see that mm-hmm. bug in that same way. The next time you see it, it's in relation to that past time that you saw it. And there's something, there's something really special about opening ourselves up to experiencing things for the, like we are for the first time, rather than always in relation to past experience. I know you have to go. I want to thank. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the teacher who first exposed me to this essay. It was a freshman. Uh, like honors history teacher that I had in school, huh. and um, I just want to thank her, even though I don't even remember her name, and thank any teacher out there that yeah, that just shares stuff with us that that they don't know how much it like impacts us moving forward.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. This uh, essay. Change your life,
0: yeah. I think so.
1: Ah, uh, I wonder if you could find her and tell her that would be so cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, my hope is that these teachers just know you know, they don't need to know the specific things they're doing, but it's like this life of service. And when we try and serve, like we didn't, we don't need to know the exact things. It's just we've had so many great, great teachers. I've been just so lucky to have so many people that have devoted so much of their life to contributing to me and to other children. And I'm so inspired. I, I, I created this organization that I do cause this is like the change I want to be in the world. And, um, when I've gone and worked like at Montessori schools, we do a lot of work for Montessori schools and, um, people that work with kids it's just it's like so inspiring and it's it's mm. the one profession that like has me think like oh maybe i chose the wrong thing these people are making such a huge difference wow. and yeah so i want to thank people that that work with kids work with your own kids and work with other kids and and teachers and uh and yeah i'm i'm, I'm proud of us for putting this effort into it and i hope that we share some of this with other people and that um, that it helps make a difference for them too
1: oh man thanks Tim yeah big big love to all the parents and teachers and grandparents and aunts and uncles and everybody who cares about children and and supporting them and nurturing
0: them yeah all right. Well, great. Thank you uh, for following the Radical Honesty podcast. Uh, I don't know what's coming up next for us. Do you, Kara? Do you know what you want to review next?
1: I I have a couple ideas, but well, I guess we'll have to talk about it. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we'll put some links below, including a link to Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson um, and uh, and a few of the other things that we talked about today. But uh, thank you, Kara, for joining me. Thank you to everybody for listening. You can tune into us uh, uh, at the Radical Honesty webpage uh, now also at on Denver Open Media, 92.9, 89.3 HD3, radio in Denver. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week for another episode of the Radical Parenting Podcast.
1: Thanks, Tony.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.